everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie discussion podcast where four friends get together to seek truth and uh, ruin our minds in the process. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined today by my wonderful friends and definitely not hallucinations, Joel Lewis, Tim Gerard, Hello. And Zeke Perez. Hello. For those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is simply a monthly discussion podcast where we all take turns picking a movie, watching it, and then talking about it. There are no rules. We can pick any movie at all, new or old, foreign or domestic, animated or live action, a movie we've never seen before or seen a million times. The only rule is that we have to, uh, you know, actually watch it and also find something to discuss. The idea is that one we get take, more out of these. One take, Scott. Look at him. He's back, boys. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that we get more out of these films when we share them with people we love. That's proven to be true time and time again. This time we're working our way through a cycle called What If Zeke Had Been Around for our earliest episodes, in which each of us is picking one of our earlier films to rewatch, this time with Zeke. Uh, this month, Tim was our movie selector, and he you, he, <laughs> he delegated. <laughs> but no, he he put the methods in place. He decided on the, on the decision system. Tim brought back Pi, the first Aronofsky film that he brought us for our, our little mini Aronofsky run. Tim decided. So, Tim and Zeke, this is your show. Do you want to talk about uh, Tim? Do you want to talk about the selection process at all? And then Zeke, why you picked Pi out of what he laid out for you, or <laughs> you know, do you want to talk about how we got here? Or? Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll start it off. And yeah. So you know, we we decided to do this sort of what if cycle. You know, I kind of thought about that as like if this is for Zeke, I don't necessarily want to be like you're watching this. You know, it's like well, let's see if you know if there if there was any anything that you know, Zeke had been wishing like, oh, I wish I was there for that one. And then I didn't want to pick something else. And I, I forget why I arrived at the two, or maybe maybe we had had a discussion and maybe the two of us narrowed it down. I forget now, but um, it, it came up to where it was either Corinna Scotzi or Freddie Got Fingered. I was kind of going opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, do you want the sort of, you know, artsy type film or do you want the just like the ridiculous, like, oh my God. The one about Matt. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh and yeah so after after those two options zeke came back with pie <laughs> so, so yeah. i don't know if you want to talk about sort of what your thought process was in, in sort of you know throwing my options out the window <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah um i'm very indecisive so <laughs> the, the, the two choices was just too restricting for me um no i uh i don't know i think I really liked um, sitting in on the other or yeah, participating in the other Aronofsky discussions. Um, I, I do, I am a person who finds myself drawn to authors or producers or directors or whatever it might be writers, like in different mediums. If, if I find somebody in their style that I like, I like to, you know, check out the catalog and stick with it. So, um, you know, I had heard a lot about Freddy Got Fingered, never seen it. Um, I feel like I had seen Quayana Scotsi, and we talked about that. And so I kind of wanted to revisit that too. So I really was torn. Um, but I think for me, I just wanted to continue seeing more of Aronofsky, kind of go back to one of his earlier films that I had never seen before and, um, just check it out. I just felt like that was, and it did end up being in the, in the middle of the spectrum, I guess, between the other two. So just felt like the right call to go revisit that one. We well, can't always yeah. get what we want, which was a Freddie got fingered discussion. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
<laughs> well, you messed you. up my parlay on this. <laughs> Damn it, Tim, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really glad that you took a different approach, Tim. That's it was kind of refreshing, right? Because, like you said, if the point of this is for Zeke, you know, it was great to to Joel and I both brought something specific because we wanted to see Zeke's reaction, but you sought instead to see Zeke's intention and sort of his look into his mind a, a different way which is so a I'm very really Zeke thing that. to do like in, <laughs> in in like usually when he has a pick he's like hey guys i'm thinking between these two <laughs> yeah you turned so, it around mm-hmm. and then made Zeke, the... i'm really glad you chose pie because it, <laughs> it was a real delight to revisit actually especially yeah. after we finished our aronofsky sequence it was great to go back to the first one and see it again with different eyes so do we want to go around to do second impressions slash 1800th impression for tim slash first impression for zeke i don't know if you mm-hmm. did you see this before zeke i hadn't seen it before uh-uh. yeah. so so number impression right with anybody mm-hmm. like to start you know first and then uh another thing i noticed too um i just we ended up revisiting the what if cycle ended up revisiting three episodes in the order they came out anyway right like you guys had done shin godzilla or excuse me, chopping mall, then should Godzilla, then pie. And so we just did that. So maybe subconsciously that was part of what I was oh, thinking. Oh, wow. Can I change my pick? <laughs> Let's go back. No, no. <laughs> A little too formulaic over here. Um, yeah, no, I, I uh, enjoyed it. I feel like it was maybe, I don't know, weird for this to be the latest Aronofsky movie I've seen. I don't, I don't know that I would have felt different about it. Um, had it been the first one, I think it is a challenging one. I, I listened to the last episode, and I know, Tim, you talked about seeing Requiem for a Dream and then going back um, and wanting to see more of his stuff. So you went to this. I feel like Pi, because it was his first thing he did, and it was pretty low budget and pretty indie, it would probably be rare that this is maybe the first movie that somebody saw. So I guess, the you know, for most people, you wouldn't see this first. But it was interesting seeing it later after seeing some of his other movies because watching this one later i could see even early on in his career kind of the direction he would he would take right some of his trappings um kind of how he told the story how he shot it um not only visually but just themes too right i think there's definitely themes here just kind of like chaos and absurdity that you might see in mother um so it's just really interesting to start to see him develop in his role as a filmmaker um, from this early one. I think right off the bat, I, I was struck by um, how low budget it looked. I don't know a nicer way to say that. Um, and I know you all talked about that in the last episode too, about just it feeling like an indie movie and kind of just the things you think of when you think of an indie movie and, you know, looked it up and saw that the budget was like $60,000, right? Like that's, not a lot of money for a movie. So it definitely felt like that. I don't know if that's like, I don't mean that in any mean way, like I said, but it did feel like a cheap movie. Um, but it did feel again, like his ideas were starting to come to screen. It did feel like a good test, like first Aronofsky movie for him. Um, I don't know that I loved it or that it was my jam kind of right off the bat, right. As soon as the credits start started rolling. But I think it's one that the more it sat with me, the more I was like, well, I really liked that aspect of it, or I really liked how he approached this. Um, I really liked the mystery of it. I liked how you got little snippets of things that then unfolded later into this big 
you know, kind of chaotic finish. Um, so it's one that I think the more that I dwell on, the more I like it. So I'm curious to see for your second or eighth hundred watches, how you all felt too. So watching it again, I, this is probably the one I've thought the least about since, and I haven't re- revisited. And I don't even think I'd listened to any of the, or our discussion of it for years. So we coming back, it almost felt fresh again. I remembered certain things and it, it was, it's raw. Like in the kind of indie sheen of it. And I'm trying not to do the thing I do that just vomit all over it, but just like that, that, kind of 90s indie hand or like hand shot or like independent filmmaker low budget sheen this is what clerks looks like like and then there's a whole movement kind of in the early 2000s of mocking this kind of filmmaking where it's almost hard to differentiate when it like this is done earnestly i don't think there's any like it, it, it's not ironic what he's t- doing with it, but it's so interesting to like have like MTV made fun of this, like mad TV would make fun of these angles and like the weird, the animaniacs have like stuff that kind of references filmmaking like this. So coming back to it again and kind of watching more stuff and it, it's just, it, it's cool to see where that kind of, it, it feels punk rock. It feels raw. It feels like it's, somebody going out and just trying to make the thing happen. And uh, there, it has an energy for that. And I, I like that the, the real washed out it gets and the kind of hammering uh, tension from the, the uh, ambient noises and the, the noises of the city and then the score helping with that. I, it, for, for 60 grand, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really impressive product. You know, I have access to better cameras now, I couldn't make half of this, you know, like it just that. So that was part of it. And just, again, recognizing that kind of the quality of the film and, and it see showing its cheapness also was like, try, I was trying to temper it with like, I've seen this mocked a lot and I wonder if that's where I'm coming from with it too. But like, it, it's, it's fascinating. I was thinking this time, if, we didn't ever get the matrix. Tim would have been fine. This is, this is it. It's the same. Like it, it's very much the same kind of, this is a system. How do we push back past it or discover more around it than anybody previous? And it has the same kind of energy. I mean, even the score and the soundtrack and how it's shot has very similar kind of, uh, uh, tone and pacing to to the matrix which was interesting it was also interesting to come back and watch this after having three episodes of a matrix discussion too you know that was an interest and uh, zeke was here for most of that too so it was cool we talked we've talked about a lot of these same themes before and he just i i keep i'm i keep getting reminded of mission impossible the first film how well that storyline i don't has everybody seen the first one yeah so like I rewatched it recently and just like how how well communicated the idea of like being undercover is like these different systems of uh subterfuge and like signaling and getting out of like certain systems I this reminded me of that in the same way like it felt like he, he's exploring this mathematical theorem in this inside this little space and it's kind of interconnected with all these other things that are either spurring him on or trying to stop him. And I just like it. 
it just felt very similar to that. Like try, he's trying to break out of the confines of this disordered universe to try to find this thing. And it, it's, it's difficult and you, you kind of get because of the camera angles and because it's like so clearly cerebral, it, it really f- has that claustrophobia of you're trapped in, in this simulation and you're trying to escape it. So it, it, it it was nice to, I, I wrote some notes, but I just sat and watched it, which was great. And it, it just, it, I don't, I don't know if it's one I'll go back to kind of casually. Like I enjoy it. I, I really think it's doing some interesting things, but it, it, it was cool to, to not have thought about it for so long and then go back in and kind of just have it hit you full force again. I thought that was really cool. I really, it's, it's going to be a bit of a stereotype because this is the thing to say about indie movies, but it feels a little more authentic than the other two films we watched, Fountain and Mother. Not to imply that those were bad. Again, I it is again I have to like you said, Joel, like I'm not just gonna properly shut all over these and then oh, I'm up their own ass. Like they feel way more contrived. And it's sort of like the difference between walking in the street as a man tells you a story and riding one of the Disneyland rides that tells a story. And they're both super enjoyable experiences, assuming the man in the street are enjoyable, right? But I like the Disney thing, right? Everything is so carefully placed by someone with intent. And like, especially Mother, the way the house sort of operates as a, a, a set in every way, you know? It, God, I want a Disneyland ride of the Mother movie. <laughs> oh my God. It feels like you went through the whole, everything was planned, everything, right? It feels like there wasn't a single thing that didn't happen the way it was supposed to. You know, they could be filming and a bug flies across the window. And I'd be like, that's a CGI bug. They didn't just accept some shot where nature imposed upon his vision. That's, I think, that on purpose, you know, like, which again, isn't necessarily an inherently inferior way to make a movie. But something about this felt so much more like he had the one story to tell and his actors. And he said, go tell my story. And they did. And something about the city, I think, feels so alive around them, living and breathing in, in, in this place. And it just, it feels a little more natural the way it flows, right? Um, which again, I, the other two films are phenomenal because he controlled everything and they would be worse if he had tried to shoot them differently. But they have that in common, right? That they're both very structured with great purpose. And this was a little less structured. So I think that's why this felt a little more refreshing. I liked a lot that he didn't delve too deeply into what it was that our character was discovering or pushing up against. I'll go into more detail later when we're not doing the the current impressions, but I really just thought a lot about ambiguity in film and in story and how when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, oh boy, it doesn't. And here it works. If it's even present, it works, you know, which is, is maybe why it works because it's, it's sort of, it's not a man coming along and telling you, Ooh, what happened? You don't know. It's just, he just sort of lets it happen. And so at the end, if you don't know, well, go watch again. Maybe you'll figure it out. Like, I don't know. It's just, again, everything feels more organic. And that was really, really nice. I think for me with, with this watching, um, one of the things, uh, and I'll just mention this quickly, I don't want to go into the whole origin of it again, um, but, you know, the origins of this and, you know, how it came into my life was back in my blockbuster days. Um, while I was working there was when Requiem for a Dream and memento had come out around the same time so it was like and it was and it was a landmark for me because i think this is one of the when i was starting to become aware of directors you know it's like i've seen many many films i mean you know the wachowskis started that but you know before that it was just like oh i like this movie for this reason you know um 
And that was when I started keeping an eye on directors. And I think maybe at that point too, is because I was more geared towards like, all right, I want to do film composing. I got to keep an eye on what type of director I want to work with. Um, and I remember, you know, watching those two, which was, you know, his and Christopher Nolan's second films, and then going back and watching the first, their first film. So it was following for Christopher Nolan. And I remember that of those four of their first and seconds, I liked uh, Memento better than following, but I liked Pi better than Requiem for a Dream. And I remember that part of the the reason for me, and I remember talking about this with a, an actress friend of mine who worked with me, you know, and she thought it was funny and very typical of me at the time that what I liked better about Pi was it was about one person, it dealt with one person and his madness as opposed to a group of people and their relationship to each other. You know, like I, you know, it was, I, I, at the time I didn't care as much about, Oh, this is how these four people are interacting and how they're affecting each other and influencing each other. But, and, but, you know, maybe sometimes relying on each other. It's like, no, I want the one guy in the madness. That's what I want. You know? Um, I, so that was sort of what made this kind of like latch on to me. And, um, one of the things I, I also wanted to mention when you guys were talking about like the black and white aspect is I, I feel like, this black and white was also, I don't know if saturated is the right word. I know that has, is a word that's used with color. I don't know if it also applies to black and white, but where something like, you know, yeah, Joel, you mentioned clerks or even like following like those black and whites just more seem like the absence of color. Whereas this one, it seemed like there was more of a, a push towards the extremes of the black and the whites and like, you know, using filters to get a more um, almost more like, you know, it reminds me of, I mean, I think they even use this at times, but like, it looks like TV static, you know, yeah, it's like where, pixelated and yeah. Yeah. Um, straight. And yeah. Very grainy kind of, you know, like, like the, like the quality was intentionally bad, um, which I think a lot of it probably had to do with the time period. Cause based on the computer stuff, it was like what, maybe the eighties or something like that, you know, the five and a half inch floppy that he has the, the on, you know, um, so like, so I think that was part of it too, where it was, you know, it, it did follow that sort of indie movie trope because it's like, oh, we got to be in black and white. Um, but it seemed more like I feel like if maybe they had the budget to do color, they still would have done the black and white in that in that type of thing because it was it was sort of part of the character of it. Because um, I, I remember hearing at one point, I don't know how accurate this is in all cases, but the part of the reasons why people will use black and white is the film is cheaper to develop than color and cheaper to make it look more professional. Whereas when you're dealing with color film, I think there has to be a lot of times a lot, you know, done to it or added to it, or the lighting has to be very specific. Otherwise you end up with like this washed out film. And um, again, I don't know how true that is, but I, I remember reading that that's a reason why a lot of indie stuff is black and white because it can still look good for black and white on a lower budget. Whereas like, it's better to have a good looking black and white film than a shitty looking color film, you know, that type of idea. Um, but again, with this, the black and white seemed a lot more um, intentional. And, uh, and also like, you know, for me that, that idea of this, this fight between mathematics and, and spirituality, like that's, that's kind of been uh, an interesting concept I've come to and gone away from and come back to, uh, you know, at times and how that works. Um, so for me, that was a big part of it. Um, however, this watching, and this is kind of why I prefaced it with all that stuff, but, oh, it's this one guy going mad. This time I was much more aware of the, the contrast between sort of like, 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 yes, he's, he's, you know, trying to find proof that math is kind of like in, in nature, in the natural world. 
but I was much more aware of sort of the, the, the contrast between like the computer, you know, like, like this, this fortress he's built of technology for himself out of garbage computer parts versus, you know, the, the more organic things. Like, I mean, you know, obviously there's the one where, you know, the ants intrude his, his mm-hmm. processor, you know, and you get the, the gooey sticky stuff and all that. But, but also, you know, aside from that, that I thought it was very, very interesting and almost like, I'm wondering if the, the, the film was meaning to lean towards the idea that like, yes, there is a God and this 216 digit number is the name of God. And he's helping you find it because you get this sense that whenever he's stuck, because he's like in, you know, he's in this zone and on his computer and he's looking at his computer for the answers and then, Oh, it'll be the ants. Oh. And the ants kind of break him out of that. Like the natural world comes in the world. that's not within his control within how he's programming and running stuff through his computer or, you know, pouring the the cream into his coffee and seeing the spiral, you know, like seeing nature actually like not a computer program running a simulation, but the actual effect of two liquids interacting and how that's creating a swirl, you know, something that actually is a law of nature, Um, you know, or the, uh, um, what was, Oh, another big scene that really hit me that I, I forgot about is the, the one where he ends up riding the train all the way to Coney Island and, you know, we've seen him multiple times with nosebleeds in his sink, you know, which that's, you know, another part of it, too. Like we see that contrast of his his office, you know, in, in the computer. But then he's in the bathroom, like when he's having the headaches and he's he's got his face under the sink and you see his toothbrush and you kind of see all these little, you know, human amenities, you know, bare minimum of them. But then the part where he's at Coney Island and he goes out to the to the water, you know, to the ocean to like splash the water on his face and it just struck me how, you know, and, and I, I I was aware of how Aronofsky would use these repeated motifs, like him popping the pills. Um, that was the other thing I didn't notice is how the amount of pills is increasing. I don't know how I missed that the first many times I've seen this, but, you know, maybe it was just because I was going at this like, oh, we're doing a rewatch. I need to find something new. But like how the, yeah, like the, that, that sort of montage of the repetition of him popping the pills and you know that that shows up a ton in requiem for dream every time they're like shooting up with the eyes dilating and that whole thing so that became kind of like a a trademark of his but i I noticed this time how it, it was so effective that he gets you used to this sequence of similar similar motifs of 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 different you know scenes of him rinsing his nose off in his bathroom sink and then what a contrast it is when he's at the ocean you know like him, it's almost as if, you know, and again, like, you know, one of the ways I is maybe starting to think about this is like, you know, was it almost like a divine intervention that he had a headache at that point so that he would pass out on the train and end up at Coney Island and be forced to be out in the world and out in nature more than, than sort of his city realm, which even though it's outside of his apartment, you know, every time we see the city, it's this bustle of people, it's, it's confusion. And you know, you maybe see that, Oh, this is why he's looking for a pattern in the world because it seems like chaos and that chaos is like daunting and it's, it's, you know, it's scary to him and to sort of push him out of that, you know, where he's just like, you know, on this beach using ocean water to rinse the blood off his face and like, you know, the other thing that was super noticeable was how different the music is at that point. You know, we're not getting this kind of like this sort of, you know, the sort of techno, you know, type stuff that we're getting with the regular or, you know, 
um, you know, industrial type stuff that we're hearing with other, it's like, is that music or sound design sound effects? You know, it, you know, it's this much more natural. I don't know if they were actual real instruments at that point, but definitely to give that impression of more, more soothing music. And, you know, again, it's like sort of like the actual natural world kind of busting in and whether it's to help him find this name of God number or, you know, to tell him like, Hey, there's more to life than just math. Like I, I, I was much more aware of how that, that aspect of the film functioned, you know, as almost as a character, you know, like, you know, how they say like a place will be a character. And I think, you know, in, in, in this watching, that was something that really, that I really kind of picked up on that, you know, it's not just kind of him against the world, you know, it's, it's more like, you know, him, him trying to do this thing and the, you know, the world trying to get him to not necessarily, uh, you know, shut down the part of his brain that's trying to find an answer, but to say the answer is not on your computer. The answer is in this natural world that you're trying to find a pattern, you know, like be in that world. And, um, and it also gave a different spin on the end because part of the, the end, I always used to think that, you know, by him, you know, drilling through his head, it basically like destroyed that part of his brain where he just couldn't do math anymore. Cause when the little girl does the calculator, but maybe it's that he actually did get this breakthrough. And I also love too, that he's wearing a hat. So we don't know if that was a hallucination. Was it a metaphor? Did he actually do it? Like, is he kind of semi lobotomized now? Like we, we don't know. And I love that we're not supposed to know. Um, and, you know, we see him smile for the first time. And so is it like, I used to always just assume it was because that part of his brain was just shut down and he was forced to just enjoy nature as it is without the math. But now I'm also wondering, like maybe part of his realization was that, you know, it wasn't that he should stop looking for that answer, but he was looking in the wrong place. He shouldn't have been looking into technology as a way of finding math and patterns in the natural world. He should have been looking to the natural world. And maybe that's where he had that breakthrough and he was finally able to, to see that and enjoy it, you know, like, um, you know, either way, obviously he's happier at the end of the film than he was at the beginning, but, but yeah, like, I think, you know, in terms of speculating on what that happiness is and what the, what the message was of that, you know, I think is it's, it's still under speculation, but to me, it added another layer to that, that I hadn't ever really considered. You know, I, I enjoyed that contrast of him being tortured by this search that he was doing and then getting this release from it and finally being happy, but maybe the happiness. Yeah. Maybe it's not the absence of that search. It's the completion of that search. You know, you're kind of blowing my mind. Cause like <laughs> the, the, when I see him, like the, brain is like failing i'm i always compared it to the the euclid i think is the name of the computer the way it dies so like he has it and he's so close but like he's just not his tech the tech of his brain the the organ is not physically capable of it and it's like keeping him down rather than like it turn the switch off he'll get to coney island and he'll see the waves and that'll help like i the benevolent the idea of a benevolent nature, I mean, that's pastoral. That's that's my whole thesis. I why the <laughs> fuck did I never think of that? It's just like it's it's cool. Like that I never really thought about that. That it's that adds a whole nother layer to it. Cause I, I I love one of my favorite things about this movie is the fact that the computer fought, discovers the name of God and 
becomes aware and then dies. Like, and it, this time I kept thinking of like the lungfish, right? Like the the first animal to make the the jump between water life and and feed it on Earth life. So like it just this was like an analog. It's like the the computer's trying to evolve to that next step and dies. So it's like the step right before lungfish. And he's doing the same thing with his brain. He's trying to get to this other side of consciousness post this number and understanding what it means and seeing the world through it and failing. So he just like, this time it just felt like the guy right before standing erect on the evolutionary scale, you know, like, so to think about it being like the mechanism turning off and like he discovers through nature, all of these things. That's another thing this time with the ooze kind of coming out of the computer I I never uh, thought of it as I, I always thought of it as ambiguity that it it may be the primordial ooze of the computer as as come to life you know or like that's that's the product of this realization sentience and then death but also it just ants coming in and fucking things up which it is reminds me of a, another old horror movie called phase four, where it's just attack of the killer ants. And it's, it's great. It does very similar things with kind of the infiltration of technology by little ants. It's wild. So much in this movie. So this was actually a, a prequel to the Marvel universe. Cause that's Hank Pym was controlling all of those <laughs> ants. Be like, Oh, this guy's getting too close. We gotta, we gotta send the ants in. Discovering Ding. the Pym particle. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually funny. It's funny. You mentioned Tim. I was kind of feeling the opposite almost that it or God or whatever was trying to tell him to stop. And that matches a little bit with what you said about like, stop searching here and search here instead. But in my case, like not the search here instead, just, just stop. Either (laughs) a stop entirely because it will come to you because searching will kill you and letting it come, you know, is the only way to do this peacefully or B alternative interpretation. Stop searching because, because it will kill you, period no matter what, it's just not for you slash it's incomprehensible or unknowable. Like it's just, it's, it's going to be, it's for your own good, right? You need to stop or bad things are going to happen just by the very nature of this thing that you are searching for. And, you know, the only way to help keep you safe is to, to stop. I like the ambiguity at the end that, you know, yeah, when he looks at nature and he smiles, is it that he figured out he was looking in the wrong place and should have been looking at nature? Is it that he figured out he doesn't have to look at all? And it will come to him, you know, with with patience and 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 comprehension. Or is it that like looking was just hell? He was slowly destroying himself to find something that would finish the job, and not looking now brings peace. And that's like that that's the smarter option, right? I I love it because all three of those, you know, they all line up with the idea that something about what he is searching for is working against him. For what purpose is the interpretive part? And I love it. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Zeke, so does he self-lobotomize himself or what does he do? What is is your take on the ending? (laughs) Now that we've all said there's no answer. (laughs) Yeah, that's great for my uh, decisiveness. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I liked it. Yeah, I know. I liked, I I liked, Tim, I liked your thoughts. Um, Yeah, I I like that open-ended aspect of this and I, yeah, it, it's again, that's another aspect of it that just kind of kept me thinking after two. Um, and I think the other thing, too, as far as first impressions goes, 
it was hard not for me to think of a bunch of other movies while this was going. I think, I mean, certainly there are themes of like one person in their drive, um, you know, that maybe reminded me of like limitless or, um, you know, and it had some like elements of shutter Island a little bit for me, not necessarily a drive, but just in like the mystery of things or like what's real, what's not like just all the sorts of things like that. Um, I think an easy one that kept coming to mind for me was the number 23 just because of numbers and being obsessed with numbers and yeah. math and things and less, I don't know, less math and more Jim Carrey, just like circling numbers and adding things up to 23, very small scale. Teeth out, right. With his, with teeth, his out. teeth out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, oh, the other big one um, for sure was the the machinist um, in the sense that like a person's going to like drive themselves like to the point of, I don't know, like he's working through all of these physical ailments, trying to just push forward and like, like the physical and mental toll in a person's journey. Um, so yeah, don't know where I was going with all of those other than to share just like those were other concepts and themes that were in my mind. And I kept kind of um, going back to those and it's, it's, a fun comparison too, because I think, right. Especially for this being Aronofsky's first movie and me thinking of those several other movies, some of which are Hollywood blockbusters, but like this was kind of before those and it kind of had some of those same concepts. Um, that was fun to see. And then to full circle back to the budget thing, I think Joel and, and Scott, you both said some things that, um, you know, made me think about the budget differently because, I think that's one thing that I did value about it. Like I said earlier, like you could see his themes and his in- intense and his craft as a filmmaker start to emerge regardless of what the budget is. And I would almost love to see what pie would look like if it was his fifth movie or his sixth or like, you know, and I think there are some things, some stylistic choices, um, you know, Timmy said the black and white and it did felt feel very intentional. So maybe if he has 600 million instead of 60,000, maybe he still makes it in black and white. Um, I'm just curious, like, yeah, what differences we would see if this was something that came later. Um, but as his first go, I think it was a pretty, you know, powerful and thoughtful um, movie that fit a lot of his trappings. I have a theory. There's not much substan- substance behind, substance behind it. But it's like there are directors who make the same movie their entire career. And if you're lucky, you get... I, I feel like Aronofsky's in that category. I think Scorsese does that. I like... You make the same movie, and if we're lucky, we get as many interesting variations on it as Aronofsky gives us. You know, I think, like, he really gets at it in this for because he's always talking about divinity, about order, about structure, about what is beyond, and and how do we navigate that? what, What will people go through to discover that, and what are their motivations? Because that's, I mean, that's what The Fountain is all about. It's like grandiose let's save let's but also like i'm doing that because i lost my wife and it hurts you know like it, it it's it's and the idea of the protagonist in this having no social skills no interactions also like it, he wants to understand the world i think as a way of navigating it better so he he can figure out where his place in it is too so like it is fascinated to go from like mother back to this like all the threads just 
this is the the shotgun impact. Like this is where it starts, and it, it's a big hole that I think his other stuff falls. Can I use a few more metaphors? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. It just it seems like when when his first most visceral idea, the first thing he wanted to make, and he got the chance to make when it echoes through his work, it's like, he got to make it first, you know, like it, it and it, when you get Terry Gilliam, he does, like, I always say this, like he's made the same film 80 times and it gets more interesting to look at, but slowly it just becomes more monotonous. I, I don't think Aronofsky's gotten there. I think what he's explored of the little parts of it has just been more and more entertaining and it and pushes those, that, those thoughts further. So I just, Scorsese, I mean, like Goodfellas and The Irishman are ident- like, and then Wolf of Wall. I'm sorry, like I, <laughs> this is not the shit on Scorsese podcast. Like it was the shit on a Carpenter podcast when Scott was talking about the thing last time. But like, just it, it's interesting, like how it seems like some directors will make the same film with the same themes, and it's interesting to see how wildly they deviate from that or how close to the source they keep it marty come on i love you but <laughs> something else <laughs> something shorter <laughs> well, and, and i feel like and i don't know if this is like the reason behind it but it feels like with aronofsky like it's not you know yeah it's not him telling the same story but it's like he has a few core elements that he kind of really believes in and holds important. And it's him kind of exploring them in different ways and kind of what they mean to them and how they can potentially play themselves out. So it's not, you know, yeah, the narrative isn't necessarily the same, but it, you know, yeah, you definitely see that through line, you know, especially with like with this, with the fountain, with Noah and with mother, you know, that it's kind of this like hyper realized thing. It's, you know, this mix of, you know, uh, like a, a, a real, I say real story being told, but like, you know, kind of shifting in, I guess Noah was one of the more fantastical ones. Um, yeah. Like mother could have almost been just a, a realistic psychological thriller, like until things start like getting more and more drastic. And then you kind of, it, it, it moves. I guess that the thing I'm trying to say is instead of it being like, okay, here's here's the concept and i'm just going to lean into the metaphor and this whole world's going to be fantastical i'm going to make you think we're telling a regular story about regular people and the metaphor is going to slowly expand and push this world into being quasi supernatural but it's okay because it's you know we're exploring this metaphor you know we're not taking this as being real you know and i yeah i think that's yeah that's i think that's more what i was trying to say but but again it's not like the same story, but it has those same themes of like, you know, it, it, and maybe this is why I like Aronofsky so much. It seems like the type of stories I would want to write, you know, cause the things that, you know, like, like growing up Catholic and what kind of that did to me, but also like the elements of it that I still find interesting, i.e. the mythology of it yeah. and what there still is worth getting out of that part of it and exploring that. And it seems like, it almost makes me wonder like if he and I had similar childhoods and this is how he's working through all that stuff, you know, cause I, I definitely went through a period where it was just kind of like, you know, cast all that stuff off and I hate all this, but then it's like, but those, those stories were a big part of my childhood and I'm very familiar with them. So I've learned to come to terms with the stories and be very fond of those stories as a mythological tale. And 
you know, what, what creative uh, inspiration they might provide, you know, and, and yeah, even what lessons they might provide. If you, if you take the stories at a metaphorical level and not just believe that they are fact and devote your life to this idea that like, Oh, I read a story once and it must be true. So I've got to do all these things that some other guy is telling me to do, you know? Um, yeah, it's not that, but like the stories themselves can still have value. Um, an interesting thing that just occurred to me, I think maybe part of what, what flipped that helped flip that switch for me was I, I remember in high school, we actually, in my English class, we actually studied the Bible, but as literature. And it was really interesting. And that was kind of, you know, she had this, I think she sent a waiver home to everybody. We are, I am not teaching the Bible as a religious text. I'm teaching it as storytelling. And it, that's why it was able to fly. Um, I'm also sure because I don't think there were any Jewish kids in my class. There were like, I think when I was went in high school, there were a total of maybe two or three Jewish kids in the whole high school. Um, so that was part of, probably part of it was like, there was no in the class to be like, you shouldn't be doing this. But, um, but anyway, it was the idea that like presenting that is like, oh, these are stories and we're analyzing them as stories. And, and I feel like that's something I've still been continuing to do with both those stories and, you know, stories that I've learned about from other cultures and other metaphors and, and stuff like that. And it seems like that, that it, it seems like he has a similar drive where it's like, there's still something about these stories from my childhood. There's something there that's still useful. I have to dig through them and find, you know, what, what can I either find in this story or can I use this story as a vehicle for making some other point contrary to what that story, the point of what that story usually is, you know, i.e. mother, you know, like where, you know, taking that, that Genesis story instead of being like, oh yeah, this is about how, God has pissed at all of you and kicks you out of, you know, the garden of Eden and you have to feel like shit about yourself. And it's like, no, it's about climate change, you know, like, like him using that, you know, I guess that's the, I don't want to say the opposite of, you know, how myths usually work, but yeah, like take, instead of taking a concept and building a story around it, which can possibly then be misinterpreted. I feel like it's almost a way of tricking people to come in and listen to this. Watch my movie. It's about the book of Genesis. You know, like how many people are going to come in that be like, Oh, this is really cool. I like the, you know, yeah. I'm, and, Wait a minute. This is not the start. And it's like, no, there's a whole other point here. You know, and, and you know, and it reminds me of ideas that I had when I was younger about like, you know, having alternate, um, alternate meanings behind a lot of the symbolism, you know, and that's, that's one of the things I think that frustrates me so much about religion is, you know, when you believe the text to be fact, you, you don't allow for interpretation, you know, and, and, you know, my belief in being that the whole point of these stories is to have a personal interpretation, your own individual interpretation of what the story is. So that's like one, I shouldn't say my problem with religion. One of my problems <laughs> with religion is a lot of stuff. There's a whole nother uh, podcast for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I won't get into all that, but you know, so, so I guess for me, that's kind of what I see as the through line for, for Aronofsky. Yeah. Like not that, not that he's trying to write, make the same movie, but you definitely see like he's always concerned with with working through the same problems, you know, or very similar problems in different ways. And, you know, maybe maybe he sees himself as Max, where he's like, every time I, I get a little closer to God and then I get shut down, you know, it's like and, you know, that's having to finish the film, you know, like. You know, I, I feel like that's sometimes the way with a lot of creatives, you know, where you 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 keep working on something that's never finished, you know, whereas with the film, it's like this has to be released. So you've got to finish it. And maybe he feels like that after every movie. It's like I got closer to what it is I'm searching for. So I need to do another movie that pushes farther past that to, you know, all the same stuff, all the same ideas. But how far 
can I push that past my last movie to get closer to that, that realization, that epiphany or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> did, did we see the name of God and it broke our brains? Is that where we're at? <laughs> I'm trying to find a good example film to, to hold up in comparison to Pi to talk more about what I mentioned earlier about ambiguity and mm. why just to, to try to better exemplify why I like it in Pi or why it doesn't bother me compared to when it does. But I, I'm really having trouble. I, the lists I find when I'm like Googling films with ambiguous endings or whatever are either, they're either films that really inception, don't right? yeah, I feel like It's basically all Inception yeah. and like, or a handful of films that actually don't really have ambiguous endings like in the sense that we're talking about one of them is casablanca right it's like okay yeah what like, <laughs> you guys walk off to an uncertain future but in that regard everything is ambiguous is it ambiguous yeah. like they're together like, now like I, right like, i don't understand the movie ended <laughs> so yeah the movie ended but or the universe continued therefore yeah. this is ambiguous and I, right do they go to sleep or do they go eat a sandwich? I do not. That's right. So I don't know that I have one, but I guess just I, I don't like it when ambiguity hides behind, when a, a lack of explanation hides behind the excuse of ambiguity, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. Right? Where at the end of the movie, if you came out and the filmmaker was there and you said, I don't get it. And they'd say to you, oh, well, that's the point. You don't know. Ooh, you know, it's like, no, I think maybe you just told the story badly. Like, yeah, you didn't know how to I, end your movie. Right, like I need something, right? Yeah. And if, if people come out with 10 different opinions, that can be ambiguous and interpretive, and that's that's great. Or people come out uncertain, that can also be fine, but like uncertain on purpose, right? Oh, maybe I'm not supposed to know, or maybe there were other clues, or I, I, I guess I don't have a good bad example what, on hand. Is, yeah. is Seven an example of that? The ambiguity of what's in the box. I don't. I mean, I think we. Know no, I don't. Box, don't I think we? we. Yeah. Right. Okay. But like, I mean, we, I feel like a, like a bad one. It's like, are, are we supposed to take more from the fact that you're not showing us this head? Like, what? What's? I, mean, I, I just took from that like the the idea of seeing those few blonde hairs blowing out of the box. Like that was worse. Like than seeing it to me. You know, I, I you know, like with horror, like you know, making you imagine is worse than showing you that that that's kind of how I took it. Like I always knew that that's what was it. Well, you know, I mean, I feel like it takes a little while. Like at first, like, well, what, wait, what is in the box? Oh God. But like, yeah, no, that's, that's what it is. You know, I mean, and part of it, that for me is, is, you know, um, what's his face's reaction, you know? Um, I think I always thought it yeah. was like the unborn child or her head. Like the, I think that's what, maybe that's just me projecting. <laughs> Cause wasn't the, mm. the wife pregnant. Yeah. I thought that's what Spacey did was cut out the baby. I mean, sorry, like, to, yeah, the blonde. We're the, talking well, about I mean, pie, but yeah. Like... Well, no, but yeah, in terms of ambiguity, I mean, the the, the blonde hair there, plus like, the fact that Morgan Freeman—that's his name. Like the way he reacts to it, you know, like you know, there's no sense of like whose aborted baby is this? It's like, <laughs> oh fuck, that's his okay. wife. You know, like like that to me was what you know what helped sell it, and the fact that he wouldn't tell him, you know, and the fact that like you know knowing that there was no hope, you know, cause he didn't know about the baby. If it was just the baby, then it's like, maybe she's still alive. So I, but the Fair. way he was Fair. kind of like, 
you're going to kill this motherfucker. How do I talk you down when I know you, yeah, part of me knows you should kill this motherfucker right now. <laughs> but, you know, like spoilers for seven, by the way, I hope we've all <laughs> seen, seen seven. seven. I think we've now. all seen seven, right? Yeah. I think that was a prerequisite to being on this podcast. <laughs> You've all seen seven, right? <laughs> yeah. If at the end of the movie, you, you either know what happened or you know why, but you don't necessarily know both. That's okay. And those can be ambiguous, but then like, there are also plenty of movies where you don't know either. And it's, it's fine. Maybe it's just something that bothers people on an individual basis, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll come away from a film and go, Ooh, that was left open. And that was really cool. And it made me think. And then sometimes you'll come and go, Oh, this was an enormous waste of time. <laughs> and I really, that's the thing about like poorly done ambiguity that really irks me. The phrase waste of time isn't remotely strong enough to express my ire. Like, <laughs> I, it would have been less of a waste of time if I went outside, dug a hole, put myself half in it, and attempted to photosynthesize for several hours. <laughs> because at least at the end of that, I have a useful hole in a sunburn. Whereas <laughs> at the end of your movie, all I am is closer to death. Scott, the fact that you can think of that complex a metaphor, but not one film that has the thing that enrages you so much, me. is hilarious. Like, it's, I, you, this I is such a specific feeling. I don't care about them. Like, that's how pointless they are. That's how much of a waste the brain cells were, were overwritten with something more useful, like comedic metaphor. Uh, but, um, my man said photosynthesize. <laughs> Instead of a film, <laughs> but uh, sorry, <laughs> but by it works for me, and you know we just had this discussion about clearly something is is pushing back against his efforts, and whether it's nature itself or God or just the the random chance of his health deteriorating or whatever, right? It's not in doubt that he finds or at least gets closer to beauty and truth by the end of the film right and whether his means were incorrect before or the he needed some other key like i i love that that is, here's this man here's his struggle which may or may not be your struggle in its nature but it deals with these questions that we all deal with you know beauty and truth and answers and information and power and control and here we have all these other people who want it all for different reasons Right. Some of them want it for enlightenment or to better mankind. Some of them want it for money. You know, the the other mathematician clearly wanted it at some point, but we don't know what for. And like in the end, his journey, you know, whether it's a failure to obtain it or or not, or whether he thinks it's a success but it wasn't, or he thinks it was a failure but it wasn't, it like we, we fully understand the stakes and how we got from A to B the experiences of this man. And I just, I love the way that he sort of, like at the end of the story, the storyteller turns to you and asks, what do you think? And it's just so much more validating as an audience member than when the film just stops rolling. And, you know, I realize that I'm in a theater and my knees hurt and I'm in a dark hole. <laughs> like, like, it's just, what? Why did I do this for two hours? Right. <laughs> it's engaging. Maybe that's the word I want. That this type of, ambiguity and openness is engaging and it has to be engaging i mean because of the pov and it's it's almost omni ov right because it's using that raised third person camera technique where it's centered on his movement it's so intimate in its claustrophobia you know we're 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 experiencing it with him the 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 manic nature and, and the the compulsive locking and all of that stuff like you're in it 
like that whole time. So when he his when his peace comes, you almost don't care <laughs> why, <laughs> you know, because you're finally so you, you we get to feel that's the it's the the royal we we get to breathe now we get to whatever it was you know it, that it's not here's the thing do you see the thing it's like an exhalation rather than period you know maybe it's left ambiguous too because it's leaving it for the viewer to decide you know if if his journey is a metaphor for some journey you're taking it leaves you to fill in the blank well i think this is what happened and it's like a way of you telling yourself or the, the film, the metaphor, helping you come to the conclusion of what it is you should do to arrive at the point you want to arrive at. You know, if you think that he gave up on the search and that's what made him happy, well, maybe you should let go of whatever thing in your life is making you miserable so you can be happy, you know, instead of result, trying to continually trying to resolve the thing that's making you miserable, you know, or vice versa. You know, maybe it's the fact that he pushed through and it's like, yeah, that's why he finally came because he had that, that realization. And if I just keep pushing a little farther, I'll get there too. Okay. I'm going to do it. So yeah, maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's for a reason it's for, maybe it's done with that intention of, you know, if this is going to be a metaphor, you can't tell people how it's going to end and what the point is supposed to be. Like, it's to let them draw their own conclusion, you know? So there is no one conclusion. I think he even said that about parts of Mother, too, like, where people were like, what is it really about? And it's like, first of all, like, like it's kind of obvious, I think, what he's trying to push you towards, which, you know, that was one of the things when I saw Mother is like, oh, this is, yes, it's playing with metaphor, but it's not like, oh, 50 people are going to see this and have come away with 50 different, you know, explanations for what's going on. You know, like it's a he little called more... it Mother. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. come on, it's in, it's in the name. <laughs> yeah. And the person sits on the sink and the house floods. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do favorite scenes? Zeke, fearless leader. <laughs> that's that's the caveat. <laughs> this is now your podcast now. <laughs> um, I think. I mean, I thought Mark Mar- Mark Margolis's performance was great. Middle Hector from Breaking Bad, and you know, regular and Aronofsky movies. Um, so I, I also think the landlord and Ace Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> Let me play one of the. I heard animals scratching around. <laughs> That was a great impression. His fucking bottom teeth. I feel like if he didn't have those bottom teeth, he would not have a career. Like that's like ninety percent of where his acting comes from. Is that's a hundred percent of his Hector <laughs> mouth and digging about? Well, no, that, that, yeah. that's one of the most iconic fingers in True. television history. <laughs> but um, his uh, monologue about the number two sixteen and about pushing for something, and you know, I, I, I thought that whole monologue was one that really stuck with me and it was a back to engaging i thought that was a very engaging moment in the film just he really commanded that scene so i think that was my favorite i love seeing a brain in a place you don't expect it (laughs) that's just me (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know i i hadn't seen Eraserhead before i saw this or any cronenberg stuff like it's just like i think that's another thing that kind of this is drenched in all of the the things that became cliche is like surreal black and white brain is bleeding out on the subway floor. Like it's very New York film school. Like it has all of those things, <laughs> but like, I can't fault something when it's just going to put the brain out in the middle. Like, I don't know. Like I, I, I like a film that says here's a brain on a sidewalk. 
I should poke right. it with a pen. <laughs> <laughs> and like just act. I think it's also really effective that shot and the the what it's mirroring and what it's getting at and the way it kind of works into the dream sequences that he's got kind of walking hallucinations. But like I th- there's a point where I was I, I would roll my eyes at imagery like that, but this time I was just delighted by it. Yeah, that, I f- remember the brain last time. This is great. <laughs> this is they don't do this anymore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, you filmed one brain on the subway. You filmed them all. <laughs> I like the moment when he gets "quote unquote" rescued by Lenny, mm. but then not because <laughs> he's strapped to this electro shock thing. <laughs> the right, electro no, mitzvah is what... <laughs> in a literal sense. You know, they they're just as bad as the the corporate people right in terms of just they want this number and this truth and they want the info and they don't really care about the man but on the other hand you know it's such a completely different origin point like the corporation shows up and like oh this guy figured out the stock market you know wants money we want money and it's it's so very plainly like just classically evil like oh yep big big evil corporation here you go like it's all this suits but then the you know, the, the, the Lenny and his group are, are sort of arguably more motivated by altruism up to a point in terms of finding some divine truth to bring a, a transcendent positive to the world and usher in the, the messianic age. Like, you know, you can, you can imagine that their bit is, right, well, his suffering is for the greater good of the entire planet as opposed to for our own wallets. But on the other hand, to him, it's all the same because it's all, and that's kind of a selfish viewpoint. Oh, well, it's all the same to me. But on the other hand, like, it's all really, I'll, I'll use the word violent, right? The way it's all, it, it's it's mentally violent, right? It's such a, an, a, their presence and their words are such an attack on him. It's just really great. It's it's a great moment of of not super just casting stones about everyone else is out to get you and evil and selfish and screw society, but, but of just presenting, you know, like it, it sort of places everybody antagonistically and isolates our protagonist without painting with that kind of light a brush, if that makes sense, without painting with a simplistic brush. And then I also just really love the last scene, last shot, because it's beautiful. It just is. And there's such a, simplistic beauty to it that's like you said i think it was Joel, a breath of fresh air it's a relief i was just gonna say i thought it was really cool in that that sequence where he's being a cop i think it's f murray abraham it plays the the rabbi in charge of the that the kabbalist and that there it rapidly becomes you're not special and he outs like he responds in kind to that. Like initially, he doesn't really respond with other than like it came to me. I have to do this. Like you guys aren't going to understand it. But then they start talking about like you're an unworthy vessel, and he fires back at him like, no, it came to me. It was gifted to me. I just love that. I don't know that he. I, I don't recall him having that kind of turn with the the um, the corporation. But in that, it just was such a great kind of like the the ego of the religious organization you know like the idea that like we're real special and this this cosmic knowledge is not for you and you're like and i i don't know i just that 
this time I was really struck by that interplay that he's like, no, I'm the chosen one. Fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> but only in response to their presumption of, of ownership, you know, that, that part of it. Yeah. Cause the corporation doesn't necessarily presume ownership so much as they demand that it be handed over. Yeah. It's again, it's these two fundamentally different attacks. Yeah, they don't. They don't want to have invented the thing that's going to make them the money. They just want the thing. Just give. Yeah. The, we don't care. Right. So it's yeah. well, also that he doesn't counter them with no. I'm going to use it to play the stock market. Like he's not interested in the monetary aspect. He's interested in in the enlightenment aspect. Like yeah, he sees it. Yeah, like this came to me. It was given to me. Like he sees it as coming from God. I think at that point, you know, and that yeah, like that. It's not that you know, he's, he's moving away from that material sense of like, Oh, I could use this and get rich, but I'm not interested in that. Like, I want the, I want to know the name of God. I want to be the one on the mountain, you know? <laughs> so I think uh, for me, like one of, um, one of my favorites is the, yeah, the Zeke, the scene that you mentioned. Um, and what I, what I love about that scene is that I, I actually, I forget if it's the same one, because they have a few interactions where he's kind of like trying to talk some sense into him. But the one where he tells him yeah, about you'll see the number everywhere. And I feel like that's definitely something that I ran up against when, you know, during my my new age phase is that everyone, you know, who who wants to look everywhere and see a miracle like you can you can see anything as a miracle or a sign from God or whatever or. Uh, or, or, you know, oh, you know, there are no coincidences. So if this thing happens, it has special meaning. And that he was so easily, like, because of the context of the film, to be like, you stop being a mathematician and you start being a numerologist. And, like, that that, that was sort of the idea, is that not that what he was trying to accomplish was bad, but how he was... Um, like warping it and kind of, you know, warping data to kind of get the answers he wanted. And yeah, like if he was still continuing to pursue it as a mathematician, it's like, yeah, that's what, that's what it is. That's what math and sciences are for is to kind of go through this process of, you know, like you said, Oh, you're without scientific rigor. I think he says, you know, like that's the idea is you, you've got to test all these theories and see if they're actually true, not just decide what outcome you want and layer everything that proves the outcome you want and forget about everything else. So I, I, I really love that it made that distinction and almost kind of like, you know, in addition to the stroke, like, is that part of why Saul quit? Because, you know, he knew that he was going down that road of, you know, getting into the numerology of it instead of the actual mathematics of it. Um, so I thought that was, that was really cool that it wasn't necessarily that like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing this, but you shouldn't do it in the way that you're starting to do it. You, you know, it's the pro the process is important, you know? Um, so I really like that part of it. Um, my favorite scenes, I think were always as he's like, whenever they're like, when they're in the diner and he's telling him about like the, the alpha numeraics with like, with Hebrew and like, Oh, this stands for this. And this plus this is that, you know, like this is the word for man. This is the uh, father, this is the word for mother. And you add them up, you get 44. This is the word for child that equals 40, you know, like that sort of stuff playing around with that was really cool. And then as he's, you know, like showing him the Fibonacci series, like as they're kind of addressing all these mathematical concepts and that a lot of times that will be what kind of like, you know, spurs him on to get a new idea and kind of jump into something else. Um, or like when he's thinking about Pi after he talks to Saul, which which I thought that was funny. Like every time I see this, I remind I remember what little 
of a role Pi actually plays in this whole film. You know, even though it's named Pi, like like the 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 it's not based around Pi. It's based around this other this other number, and and it references Pi, but it also references the Fibonacci series and Theta. You know, the golden section and uh, you know golden ratio. So like, there's a bunch of other stuff, and I was like is it just pi because like most people know what pi is, but if you named your film theta, people would be like, what the fuck is that? You know, or Fibonacci, like no one would know or, or 216 number name of God. Like what? That's not as catchy or as punchy as, or sexy as pi, you know, <laughs> like, um, like it's relationship. Like it, it, it's a number without end that we would use to derive the name of God in this film. Right. Like, cause it's all about that ratio at some point that like it would have to come in, I guess that I, you're right. Like it doesn't have, like, it is not about that number, but like, I kind of just chuckle at it as a mathematical joke is like, it might as well be pi because there no one can hold within them the whole of the sequence of that number because it never ends. It's also interesting too, that like the name of God is not pi. It's a number that has a limit. It's a specific number. It almost seems like, yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're actually making God a character in this film and you know, it's, you know, God's supposed to be unlimited, unending. So it seems like pi would be a more appropriate name as opposed to, no, it's just 216 digits. Like you can totally memorize that. That's no big deal. (laughs) So those were always my favorite scenes, but this time I have a new favorite scene, which is that the Coney Island scene like that, you know, because that really like just hit me in a different way. Like, I don't, I don't think I'll forget about that this time watching it like it had much more of an impact and much more of you know this yeah like you know kind of like what you guys were saying about the end scene that breath of fresh air but this kind of coming in in the middle but like i said the idea that it was playing with this trope this i guess not a trope but like um this this motif that he had created earlier of him washing his nose out after he has a nosebleed and it's always been his sink his sink his sink and now it's the ocean you know like so that it kind of connects back to those but shows like this is what he was setting up the whole time so that he could have this huge contrast and, and, you know, and the music and, you know, him having to like go stand out in nature that wasn't the streets of New York, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my new, new addition to the favorite scenes. Those shots are really well composed who I had written that about like the beach shots, every, like it, it's, it's a whole different film language, you know, yeah. and it, it's, you, you get off of his chest, you know, like that, that camera rig right in his personal space is no longer mm-hmm. there, which is really interesting and you noticeable, you know, like it, it really feels different. Um, I had written down the bodega chase, which I don't know last time if I really processed it, like with the, with it being dark and the, the lowness of the lights and the kind of pixelation and the obscura in, in the frame with that chase sequence. I, I, this time I was just really fascinated by it kind of, I don't know if you, you could recreate that kind of bad lighting, but it was more monstrous for having less defined lines and stuff. I don't know if anybody else had that feeling watching that chase this time, but I feel like, I mean, you know, what I noticed about it was definitely like, I felt like I was watching a Jason Bourne film, but, but, but I, you know, I wasn't, it didn't matter that I couldn't see what was going on. Cause I'm not trying to watch a really cool fight scene. You know, right. I feel like, you know, that's part of it. Like, I mean, 
you know, when you watch the Jason Bourne fight scenes, you can't tell what's happening. It's like, I'm used to seeing fight scenes that look like ballet and they look really cool. And even, even if they're done in a more brutal way, you can appreciate the moves as opposed to just not seeing anything. Whereas with this, like, okay, like they're running through a bodega. I don't have other films to compare it to. I sort of have an expectation of how clearly running through a bodega should be shot. Um, but I do like that through all that chaos, you see there's a can on the shelf that he grabbed that he's going to fucking brain this guy with. Like, you know, that you, you still saw that you were able to amidst all the chaos and, and, you know, and as he's running through, like, you know, he's trying to get around, but then, Oh, look, as he, you know, eventually you get to the end, you got to come back to the entrance, but the guy's there, you know? And it was like, it was, yeah, it was interesting because of how chaotic it was, but you, you knew what was happening, you know, like you understand, Oh yeah. Eventually he's going to run out of space and have to just turn around and go back the same way. Also, the fact that he's screaming, help me, help me in New York. It's like, yeah, good luck, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, Tim. I I am planning to get to the Bourne movies at some point, his selections. And I I do have a, not really a counter argument, I guess a, like, a statement of intent about the shaky cam use. And my my argument that it was largely misinterpreted by a lot of its imitators. Uh, But I'm going to save it for the Bourne Okay. The Bourne selection. Yeah. Not, I, mean, I do like the Bourne movies. No, I, not, so, I think not it's only the later it. ones, right? That start doing that. I think the early well, ones. See, I remember. That's part of it. I again. I mean, we'll get there. Okay. But I, like, there's <laughs> yeah. certain things about about it that I think are integrated into the storytelling as a, okay. a device that later kind of just get lost in terms of being. Oh, this is cool. We're gonna do it. Woo! And right. it's like, well, you kind of forgot why. So yeah. we'll get there. Well, because um, I do remember there's that one where he's fighting the guy where he stabs the guy in the hand with a pen. Like, I remember that being an amazing yeah, fight scene. I remember... Pen versus yeah. sword. Yeah. <laughs> Not sword, it's... He made him a reverse sword, Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... Rejected superhero ideas number 548. He's got knives Wolverine. that cut hands, but the knives go into his hands. <laughs> Only hurt him. <laughs> the handles come out. <laughs> All knives in the room immediately go inside this man when he enters it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that just penance? <laughs> I'm sore. Zeke, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I like it. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I don't know again. that we have that much to teach. <laughs> I learned about reverse Wolverines. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You're not getting that on your fancy Patreon podcast. <laughs> so, Zeke, uh, re- remind me, which, which Aronofsky films have you seen? Like yeah. I think we talked about that way back when we did the older Aronofsky podcast, but right. Um, I still haven't seen the fountain, but I think I've seen everything else. Let me pull up the list and because I've seen Pi, seen Requiem for a Dream. Uh, he did the Wrestler as well, right? Yeah. See, that's the seen one the I haven't seen still. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen the Wrestler. One. Did you see and Noah? Then... Oh, uh-uh. and I haven't so... seen that one either. Yeah. But oh, I have Black seen Mother, Swan. so a couple missing. Black Swan, yeah. right, is the other yeah. one. Oh, okay. So I haven't yeah. seen Black, Black Swan. Swan, but I oh, haven't seen okay. Noah. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So missing Noah and The Fountain, then. What that would be an interesting double feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, is there, are, are you running back a, another trilogy, Tim? Or are you going to do Wrestler and Black Swan, you know, get through <laughs> well, the rest of them? See, that's part of it is like, I... I've only seen Noah once and I didn't, mm. I didn't love it, which it doesn't mean that I, I think it's bad. I think it's just his other films, the ones that I do love, like I loved <laughs> from the moment I saw them and it was like, yes, this is amazing. And, and, 
Um, I, I do want to rewatch Noah at some point, but I would also have a hard time like bringing it to the podcast because I can't vouch for it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I, yeah, at least I, you know, I, at least I, I don't want to bring something to the podcast as an experiment. Like, let me see if I'll like this, you know, I'd rather be like, I really like this and, you know, I want to share it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I want to force you guys to watch. No, I'm not saying that in in terms of like, it's terrible. You shouldn't watch it, but like to be like, you have to watch this for the podcast because it it is, it it is very extreme in that, um, you know, because like, like with mother, I mean, there's this obvious, you know, biblical aspect to it, but that, that it's done in sort of this modern sort of fantasy setting that I think makes it a little more like um, relatable in a sense. Whereas like Noah kind of starts off as like, oh, okay. It's, it's like a period film, right? This is supposed to be mm. the actual Noah. But then there are these, these fucking angels that fell to earth and landed <laughs> in the mud and become these giant, ugly rock creatures. <laughs> and it's like, and I, I think supposedly maybe, that's somewhere in the Bible and that's why he like put it in there. And it's one of those things that isn't talked about because it's kind of like, what the fuck is this? You know, like (laughs) um, kind of like how they'll have that thing, like biblically accurate angels. And it's the thing with like, you see on, on Evangelion, you know, where it's like, Oh God, what is this? Like, well, that's apparently the way the Bible describes what angels look like. So I think that's our subtitle. (laughs) Yeah. Like a billion eyes with a billion, I mean, a billion wings with a billion eyes on them. It's like, that's, yeah. Oh, but like, the, so it's, I think it's something along those lines where it's probably mentioned at one point and he's like, yeah, let's run with this, you know? And I don't know if that's, you know, because he was trying to make the story a little more like fantastical and, and mythological, or if it's to kind of poke fun at like, you know, Hey, if you've actually read the Bible, there are all these random silly things in there. Like, let's, let's bring that to light. Um, and yeah. So just the way that plays into it, um, was was really kind of like that was the first thing that was just kind of like what and maybe because it wasn't in any of the previews maybe if i had been prepared for it and had seen it but i mean i was expecting more of like uh, uh you know like any kind of like you know early like or like a medieval type of thing that you're watching where like oh yeah this obviously takes place like centuries i mean in this case like millennia in the past but it's like whatever like this is what i'm ready for and then it's like oh here are these angel rock monsters and you're like what like that that is not the movie i was expecting this is you know um and kind of how they play into that and 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 the in the meantime you're also trying to have this like this actual story of the drama of like noah and his family and there's also like the sons of cuz i think what is it they say like um, I think Noah's family is like a son, uh, the the sons of Seth, like the 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 third kid that Adam and Eve had after Abel died. But then there's also the sons of Cain, who are the 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 people in the world who are like more barbaric. And um, that's the other thing too is that I feel like there's a very strong sense of this film being sort of like pro vegetarianism. And I didn't want to bring it as a way of like oh, I'm trying to push vegetarianism on you guys, but like the way that the son, the sons of Cain are meat eaters and like Noah's Noah's family and his descendants are all vegetarian and just how barbaric all the sons of Cain are portrayed and in sort of every way, not in just the way that they consume meat and the way that they show them eating 
but just as people and you know when they how they're like fuck you noah but then when noah's boat is like all right i'm gonna they're like well no fuck you come back here i want to get on your boat too and just you know they're they're portrayed as the bad guys of the film but it's very clear that them being meat eaters is a huge part of not just their lifestyle not just oh yeah they're herders that's why they eat meat um which is weird because i thought in the bible cain was the one who was like the 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 like the gardener who are you know whereas Abel was the one like here's my lamb that I'm going to sacrifice and Cain was like here's some like plants or whatever and that's why I was like fuck you I want blood um so it's weird maybe that's what made him make make the turn maybe it was because of that that you know Cain's whole you know so anyway so I I, I feel like there's just a, like a a bunch of stuff in there that that is I don't I don't want to say is like not problematic but just like I don't think it would make for a very fun conversation <laughs> you know so so that's part of why I I've, I've steered clear of that one I mean if you want to see it see it like I said I'm not going to vouch for it I'm not saying it's bad and you will definitely hate it but compared to his other stuff it is one of the more heavy-handed you know heavy-handed is the term I was just thinking yeah of. yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, from, your, from your description, I haven't seen. Yeah, it. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that's it. I was exactly. literally reaching for my mute to be like, "Is heavy-handed?" And then you said, it. So, <laughs> oh, "Thank you, thank you." <laughs> and the other um, thing about that, like the marketing did not let on that there was like cosmic angel rock monsters. In yeah, it. it was. Just, it played it really straight. And I, yeah, and exactly. Like, like Russell Crowe is, but no it wasn't a rock. I'm like I'll, it was <laughs> a rock monster. <laughs> Cosmic <laughs> rock monster. <laughs> oh, you animals! <laughs> yeah, if if I ever watch it again, I'll I'll update you guys on sort of what I think of it a second time through, and see if that kind of brings any new new light to it. But but yeah, in the in the meantime, by I the mean, way, yeah. apparently he had a film this year oh, called The Way. Like Oh yeah, with uh, with um, um, Brendan Brendan Fraser. Fraser. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, our our list of his work is wasn't our earlier list was not complete. <laughs> and I think he's what is it? I think he's like producing some show with uh, um, uh, with Chris Hemsworth or something like that, where he's like doing all these like extreme physical challenges or something like that. I think it's either on like Disney or Peacock or something well, like isn't that. Hemsworth like... Hemsworth is playing. Hulk Hogan, right? In something coming is up. Is he? Oh, that's amazing. Which I I just connected the two. Like if Hemsworth was doing a Hulk Hogan biopic with Aronofsky, that might be the most metal thing ever. <laughs> like, I don't know if he would, but uh producing Limitless for that's Matt it. Geo. This upcoming series features oh, okay. Chris Hemsworth as it delves into the science of longevity and how to live better longer. I feel like Aronofsky's just all over the place with these things, like Bible movie and then Chris Hemsworth physical challenge show and then just and mother. Yeah. All the things. <laughs> so that's what I was gonna and ask. Ballet. <laughs> right? His ballet, yeah. <laughs> the, a seminal classic, like his crossover darling was <laughs> a dark fucking ballet tale. <laughs> So Zeke, I was going to ask, based on seeing this, as as mm-hmm. you kind of watched more Aronofsky, how are you feeling? Are you more keen to to go back to these films or watch all of the ones that he's done? Yeah, um, that's it. I mean, I, I now that I've heard about Noah, I, I probably will pass on that one. <laughs> and like Tim, I know you framed it as like 
you're not saying it's bad. Like you don't want, but I probably just won't watch it. It doesn't seem yeah. like a thing I care about. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do want to say Black Swan is probably still my favorite. I feel like this one feels like Pi feels the most like mother to me, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But I haven't seen The Fountain, so I don't know if maybe that's closer. I don't know. But uh, no, The Wrestler might be my favorite. I don't know. But that's what I'm getting into now. Like they're all, like there are certain threads, right? And themes and things like that and styles. But content wise, I feel like there's some pretty big differences between the movies. Um, I do really want to check out the whale for Brendan Fraser as well. Um, uh, that one sounded great. Um, but I don't know. I do think, yeah, I think I would be interested in seeing more. I think I would like to revisit this one after the conversation too. Um, cause I think it was one as I was watching it that just felt, I don't know, felt very, it felt what you get at the end, the payoff at the end felt very different than what the beginning was. Right. And the beginning felt a little more straightforward. Like there's this hardworking mathematician that's trying to figure this thing out. That's like kind of spinning his wheels too much. And he's going off the rails a little bit. And then the ending, it's very, it's a bigger world, right? It's this whole, you know, universal secret that people are trying to find out. You've got all these different groups that are trying to, you know, pressure him for the, for this answer. Um, which is, I don't, I think not what I expected going in. So I would like to revisit it kind of w- with that framing in mind to see what else I noticed. Cause I did like how it unfolded. I just was taken aback by it. Um, yeah, so I'd rewatch this one to see what I think. And I am interested to, to watch some others just to get a feel for the full catalog. Cause I don't know, like to Joel, to your point, like they're not as, I don't know. It doesn't feel to me like he does the same movie every time. It feels like there's lots of differences. He's not a Scorsese. Let's keep <laughs> dunking on Scorsese here. <laughs> yeah, the it's like it's like all of his greatest hits, like most of his greatest hits are also his first album. Maybe that's more what I'm mm-hmm. thinking than mm-hmm. than it's being the same movie, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's it's this just made me want to watch The Fountain again too. That mm-hmm. so that that's where I like I really liked the fountain like that, that one really resonated. Like I, I liked this the first time we watched it, but it, I, I had the analog of the matrix that blew my brain in that kind of system way before. And it it was pie is such a great, like it's, it's Tim. Like I understand <laughs> Tim, you know, like this is what it's like to be in Tim's head and it's exhausting and I love him and I don't want to see him go through this, you know, like, the door's locked. <laughs> 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 the fountain the fountain i'm free from any of that kind of weird voyeuristic feeling <laughs> also um, i feel like the fountain is a lot more timeless whereas like with this like even though it was i was i think it was made in was did it say like 98 or something like that but it looks like it's supposed to take place in the 80s so i mean you you know it definitely has a dated look to it which is intentional but still i think it's sometimes it's hard to connect it's like well we're not living in that time like if we if we wanted to search for this number it'd be we'd google it you know like so i feel like that part of it it loses something as we move into the future but like yeah with with the fountain i mean you know it, it's hugh jackman you know like it, and it could be any time you know and and it, and it plays through time so like you know i think that's i almost wonder if someone was like hey i've never seen an aronofsky's film like what should i watch 
Although having said that though, I had a friend of mine watch the fountain and like, it was one of those things where he was just like not expecting it. You know I mean? At least I warned him about Requiem for a dream, you know? See, and I, I, I still haven't seen that one. I need to, I think maybe that's, this is the final kick in my ass to finally watch that one. Well, and that's the other thing. Like if you're going to bring it to this, I would want to save it is the other thing is like, I, I don't been... think I'm going to bring Requiem for a Dream to this because, again, well, for a different reason. Like, like Requiem for a Dream is amazing, but it's again, I even even though I warned my friend, I still feel personally guilty that he watched it, you know, and and sort of had to go through those those emotions, <laughs> you know, on my recommendation with you know my warning, but still, like, had I not said it, he never would have experienced that. So it it is, it's. It's it, it's it's such a decent and um, I I don't know that yeah I would just feel really bad about being like yeah we're gonna watch this movie I mean I think it would almost be worse if we were watching it in person all eating pizza together because by the end we'd be like we're just gonna throw up all the pizza we just ate <laughs> you know <laughs> um, so I, yeah I think that's gonna stay on the table where like you know and and I will vouch for that one I will say it's an amazing film whereas like with, like I said with Noah. Like, eh, watch, watch it at your own risk. I mean, this, watch it at your own risk, but for what it will do to you emotionally, not because the film itself is, you know, questionable. Um, so so that's, and I think that's why I, like, chose to do that trilogy and leave it at that. Um, again, like, I like Black Swan, but not enough to be like, oh, I'm so excited to watch this movie with you guys. Like, I think I think you, you should check it out. It's good. But I, I guess part of it's like, I don't have as much that I want to talk about with it you know, that, that, you know, hasn't already been kind of like mentioned throughout other Aronofsky podcasts, you know, like, I feel like it's good that those are there to kind of reference and to say like, yeah, oh, Zeke, if you want to watch more Aronofsky, these are the ones you should check out, you know, like, um, but, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I would do more Aronofsky for the podcast. I mean, unless he does, you know, depending on how the whale goes, I mean, if I watch that and it's like, oh my God, this is amazing, then maybe, but um, I feel like, the, the three that I did really hit at the core of, first of all, the ones that connect with me the most and the ones that to me define, you know, I mean, you know, all of his films define who he is as a filmmaker, but, but the things about him as a filmmaker that I'm really drawn to are kind of summarized in those three films. So, so, you know, while, while I may enjoy some of the other ones, they don't, they don't really hit me as personally as those three did. So. So yeah, just go watch Requiem on your own at your own risk. Not because I told you to, so don't blame me if you, you know, need to do the, the whole part. like that meme, the lie down, try not to cry, cry a lot. <laughs> I think you had said before, uh, don't watch it if you're happy and don't and watch, don't it, watch if it if you're sad. sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because if you're happy, it'll ruin your mood. If you're sad, it'll push you over the worse. Yeah. <laughs> you won't find the bottom of that emotion. <laughs> yeah. If you're kind of like, eh, I'm, I'm feeling whatever today. It's rainy. I'm bored. You know, like, let's let's go on an emotional roller coaster that only goes down. <laughs> it starts at the ground and just goes down. <laughs> well, no, I shouldn't say that because actually there's, there is a bit of a rise at the beginning and that's what almost makes it worse is that they give you this little sense of like, of, of hope about their lives. Like, Oh yeah, they've got this, this little group of people and you know, the things are kind of fine. And then like little by little things just start to chip away and it's just, you know, <laughs> which is, and it's funny too, the, the, like the main character from Pi actually has a cameo in it. 
Um, oh, cool. He's he's a, oh, yeah. a guy that um, uh, what's her name? Um, Jennifer Connelly like goes on a date with this guy, and uh, that it's it's him. But he's he's meant to be this like more of like a creeper in this, you know, like not like the 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 main character kind of anti-hero. He's like a scummy guy. But yeah, you could tell it was just like, hey, it's my second film, and you're my star, and I've got all like you know big name Hollywood actors for this film, but we'll sneak you in somewhere. You get to be the creepy guy. <laughs> Got a role, thought of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, speaking of things that diminish in quality, let's do my favorite segment. <laughs> Unless anybody had any other. Sorry, I, I feel like this one, I just thought a lot about it. You know, like I, I, it, I didn't write a whole lot of notes. I, every time I watched it, I thought of Andalusian Dog. I don't know if you guys saw that. That's yes. Salvador Dali's that. experimental surreal film. And th- this just gives me that vibe. I don't know if it's just that era that th- this is, it's surreal. It's, it's cool to see nineties film surrealism. Like I, that it's a movement that I, I, I identify with. Cause I feel like it feels like a grungy bathroom, you know, like of all the stickers and it's industrial and it's gross and it stinks. And it's like, that's I don't know, <laughs> and then you see things out of the corner of your eyes, and you think you're going crazy. I don't know if that's just talking about my personal life or just like <laughs> I don't know. Like I, there's uh, go ahead. Yeah, I felt the same too in the sense that when I was trying to take notes as I was watching it, like I didn't want to didn't want to pull myself away from the screen to do that. So I kind I feel like I might have lost some talking points because this is definitely one. Like I said at the beginning in First Impressions, like it's one that I thought about a lot. And the more I thought about it, I liked it. Um, but the thoughts are maybe still very abstract. Like I am, like you said, Joel, just doing a lot of thinking, like catch myself, you know, on a walk with the dog. And I'm sitting there just like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like that scene, you know, didn't think much of it at first, but like then it paid off in this sense. And I really like that. Or, oh, that's where this was going. And it's a little bit harder to, I guess, be qualitative about how I'm feeling about it and like kind of report back on it. Cause it is one that I just enjoyed thinking about, enjoyed experiencing, like want to rewatch again now that I've kind of got the wheels turning thinking about it, but it's much harder to be like, Oh, here's the, you know, 10 scenes that I really liked, or here's, you know, a big takeaway. Cause I think the big takeaways are still happening in my brain, which is a great thing. So See, that's the way to end the real part of the podcast. <laughs> what a great, what a great thought. What a great summation. <laughs> so well my said. favorite segment will go right here. It is, it is time for <laughs> another situational movie recommendation. Um, so I was thinking, what is a movie that you like to watch where, uh, Dudes writing math on whiteboards play a big factor of it. So <laughs> I love this. This is my favorite. <laughs> Goodwill hunting. The social network. <laughs> I was, was going to say that first. God damn it, Tim. <laughs> I've actually never seen it, but that scene came up in one of my classes where they where uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross use the sound of the marker on the whiteboard, like and sample that and use that in the music that comes afterwards. That's cool. like a recurring theme. Yeah. You haven't seen social network. 
Not yet. It's on my list. Okay. We'll watch it soon. Yeah. I thought you were protesting. Like you, you'd like that. <laughs> like, oh no, yeah, no, I do want to see it. It's just you know on the on the list. I feel like sometimes I feel like Captain America in Winter Soldier when he's got the little book. I'm like <laughs> oh yeah, I've been told to do check this thing out. <laughs> I've been frozen for sixty years. Yeah. <laughs> the one that came to mind initially was Beautiful Mind. Mm. Um. I watched that movie way too young. That that just really severely broke my brain. I was like, no, that's not okay. That is not okay. <laughs> Dad, are you really there? <laughs> um, I don't know that I have an answer for this one, to be honest, Joel. I mean, I, you mentioned Goodwill Hunting, Zeke. I, mm-hmm. Sure, but it doesn't strike me as the one I want to pick for this, right? But it's also <laughs> the only thing I can think of. I... Um, can I say Jaws? <laughs> of course you can say Scratch. Jaws. You can always say I mean, Jaws. He doesn't write anything, but, but he communicates no with his chalkboard. You see, I think secretly Scott hates this segment the most. Because he fights segment. me on he, the, 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 the definition of the see, terms that's why every I love time. It. <laughs> and I've taken it till now as just like playful bit, but I think there's deep seated hatred underneath no, it now. I, just, I, I really thought I was the one who didn't like it, but you only left me without an answer here. Is the thing for the first time ever? I mean, I guess I, I've said that before, and then you guys start listing movies, and I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen like ten of those, so, so I probably just can't remember. <laughs> well, like <I'm> sure. <laughs> what was that? Bob's Burgers. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yes. One that popped into my mind, but that's maybe not the best use or example of it uh, in hindsight, maybe, is Rain Man. I feel like maybe that, I feel like his, I guess there's not math on a, on a board per se, rather oh, than he's just head, like, though. yeah. It counts. And then, yeah. <laughs> it and then literally what's the, counts. What's the Zach Galif- Galifianakis they kind of parody like the everyone uses it as a gif right where he's thinking and there's the math yeah. what's that from is that from it's from hangover because he dresses oh. he goes oh, up the elevator right. dressed right. as <laughs> rain man yeah. <laughs> there we go that's what that's the link i was trying to find <laughs> i was like i don't think rain man's quite it but i like that it. gave us the hangover and zach galifianakis in one specific scene with math on the screen so See, that shows the how far Zach Galifianakis has come career-wise, that yeah. that wasn't our first thought, though it was the thing. <laughs> the actual... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I was going to say, the actual other one I was going to lock in was uh, Moneyball, because not only is it math on boards, but it's math about baseball see, on boards. Math I and baseball. That, and I yeah. like it. And that, was, uh-huh. that would have been a that great movie. Yeah. Just two sure. of the most thrilling things. People just don't find boring at all math and baseball stats so that movie is so much better than it should be it's like, so good you it's watch that like really that's good. like having warm cocoa like right it's like emotional up. too somehow it's like so i cry at the end every time if you would have no, told like, me i'd cry at a baseball stats movie that's probably accurate <laughs> but not for the reason you'd think so it's it's both brad pitt and jonah hill at their absolute fucking best <laughs> <laughs> right. I just I love that movie. That's such a good one. I've got it scouring. Another <laughs> uh, another, another non movie pick of um oh uh AP Bio. 
where he's always got like the little plots and he's like drawing on the chalkboard like oh well we've got to get this so we could do that he's like having the enlisting the kids in his plots to like fuck up his rival or whatever but he's always drawing these fucked up pictures of what's happening on the board have you guys seen ap bio no it's so i good. started it when you recommended i think you recommended it on another oh, okay. episode so i've seen a couple but yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like it's it's like fun because his character is similar to what his character is in Always Sunny, but he's more redeemable, you know, like where you have Dennis is the, oh, it's the implication. He's like, no, you're done, you know, whereas this, like, he's not that guy. He's he's a dick, but he's not that guy. So you're like, okay, I can go along with this and watch your growth happen. Like, that's cool. But yeah, and just like how he is with the kids, how he is just like, I think he reminds me a little bit of what I was like when I was teaching drumline. But like in that case, I was like a year or two out of college and they were college students, whereas he's like a full grown adult and they're high school students. It's like it's way more inappropriate <laughs> to see the way he's interacting with them. You reminded me that I Chernobyl. I don't know if there's a specific chalkboard so much as presented scientific information, especially at the end. But oh boy. Yeah. But and to be fair, they intercut the whole ending presentation with flashback footage that I shot of of lot quote unquote live, you know. But it's really brilliant. The little, little slats he puts in, the ingredients build up and the, the chemical reactions occur. Was there any chalkboard stuff on the imitation game? Does anybody remember? There had to have been, right? Right. I, I haven't sure. seen it. Um, and it has its problems, but it's but it's A, it's good. It's entertaining, just as a movie. A. Right. And then B it's a little problematic. No, problematic's too strong a term. I mean, I just they do their thing where they rearrange certain parts of history so the story flows better, and they they step a little far in that one compared to something like Chernobyl, where they're really delicate about it. Um, but it's not egregious or anything, you know. It like uh, they they use the most visually impressive version of one of his prototypes as a representation of like an amalgamation of all the things he built, even though that's not really the one that like broke the code because it's cool to look at in the movie scene, you know, and it's like, okay, well, sure. Why not? Right. We don't have time to walk through 10 different prototypes or, um, you know, there's one scene where the intelligence they decipher is like going to play a critical role in something that's happening almost live, you know, as they communicate to the government. And that was just whipped up for drama, but it absolutely, you know, absolutely very well portrays the serious impact that our work had on the lives of people in the front line of the war, even if the actual, like, quick, this deciphering just happened, pick up the phone and call, what should we, you know, is, was total, totally bogus, right? <laughs> um, like I said, I think it's good enough in that regard, historical regard. Um, and I want to say it, the, the relationship they hint at, the childhood relationship they hint at for Turing is made up. Um, but to be fair, you know, it, it helps us put him into situations that illustrate the difficulty of being gay in the time period. So on the one hand, they made up a relationship for him. On the other hand, they did it to show us his struggles. So, eh, you know, point being, I would put it on the forgivable side of historical changes. And then on top of that, like I said, a really entertaining movie. So yeah, I'd say worth watching for sure. The other one I was thinking about was uh, Apollo 13. And I don't know if it's so much like, well, it's like we have here to here and we have enough fuel to get them here. How do we get them? And then there's like, we need to put this filter in the hole that this fits in. Like that, I don't know, just that, that kind of whiteboard. These are 
really big problems that we have to solve from the earth. I fucking love Apollo 13. That that is the most tense, amazing fucking just fucking incredible movie. I that I I forget about that one. Every time I put it on, I'm just like it feels real. Like you feel like you're there in a way few films do and it just it it I don't want Tom Hanks to die. <laughs> you know? It's been like, ages since I saw that. Yeah. And then why not The Martian? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in the same same vein. I mm-hmm. I think The Martian is impeccable. I it, it's the modern equivalent as far as I'm concerned. Like a lot of whiteboards in that one too. <laughs> <laughs> or are they clear boards? <laughs> well in another uh scott technicality <laughs> is uh iron man's uh uh, uh 3d oh, hologram yeah. board oh, that, that, annoys me. that board irks me someone who thinks touch screens in cars should be illegal that irks me <laughs> hey buttons i can feel damn it um but then uh to do the cheating answer zero dark 30 which has a whole just a whole sequence where our main agent is like writing on the the window of her boss's office every day how many days it's been since like some sort of breakthrough that hasn't been followed up on or some something she's mad about right so there's a little sequence there where 10 days and then the next scene she's erasing and 15 days and the next scene she's finishing like 25 like boom and she like she puts three exclamation points at the end all loudly and like walks off. And, uh, not a whiteboard or really valuable information, but it's a, it's a whole sequence of writing with a driveway marker on a window. I didn't think this topic was going to be this rich in discussion. I'm glad it ended up being something. <laughs> we deliver, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> delivers. My favorite writing on writing on a whiteboard um, instance is actually in real life. Um, I was doing my first year of grad school at DU. Uh, I was doing actually an opera with a friend of mine. It was all all people from my class, and I actually had a, a non-speaking role. So it was perfect. I didn't have to, like, sing or speak. I just, you know, um, and we were rehearsing, and I think we were using this room in this hall at DU as a dressing room. And my friend, there was a big whiteboard. He picks up a marker and he like signs his name in perfect cursive, middle initial included. And is like, oh shit, this is a Sharpie. <laughs> so like he had written in some random classroom his name. So it's like, okay, like they're going to know who to come for for this. <laughs> so like he spent like half an hour, like just getting water and soap and like trying to wash it off. <laughs> the levels of that. <laughs> oh my gosh it's funny too because like where would the i mean even if it was a dry erase marker like where's the impulse to just i'm gonna sign my name on this board like right why would you do that i mean it's like it's not there's nothing bad about it but like because it was there tim it was like everest you see (laughs) a plane of undriven whiteboard (laughs) you must make your mark upon that land We do the things not because they are easy, (laughs) but because they are difficult. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to devolve into JFKs. Can we do that for 45 minutes? And then where's the, uh, like, because it's there for Everest, right? Right. (laughs) Who's that? Kirk says it to Spock about mountain climbing and uh, the long, the voyage home. (laughs) Is that the originator of that? It's it's one of. (laughs) I'm sure. I I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> now I'm envisioning Scott or uh, 
J- Spock doing or no JFK doing Spock lines. <laughs> Live long and prosper. <laughs> you have and shall always ever be my friend. <laughs> that works really, really upsettingly well, Joel. <laughs> Oh. It's like, do I know enough Spock quotes? As I always you? said, Captain, forgive your enemies, but remember their names. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the podcast now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so that was the what if cycle. Less one, less one wild card Zeke pick. Yeah, last Zeke pick here where you. I, I believe the idea was for you to go back through the list and pick one of your own that you wanted to, to watch with us, yes? Yes, that's what I <laughs> thought about I don't doing. know why I have so much trouble remembering what we agreed on for the fourth yes, spot. That's, the site, that's definitely where my brain was. film that I chose <laughs> is... <laughs> Keep stalling, Tim. Keep stalling. <laughs> like the scene in the office where he's like, I have a saying that I, you know, and I, I've always said this. And I always have. I always will. I always will. <laughs> Don't ever, under any circumstances, no matter who you're with or what, what, what so you're where doing, you go, where you go. <laughs> never for any reason, ever. <laughs> and this is something I live by. <laughs> That's right, yeah. You think we, um... let's say we get some fettuccine Alfredo. Let's say we do. <laughs> also, actually, while while Zeke is doing doing nothing, um, <laughs> this is we, what uh, we mumble, sir. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, no, I was going to call you up and say you're, you're. Who knows what you're doing? Uh, I got you now. Yeah, not um, not looking up episodes. Right. I did that research before. Not, yeah, not doing that. Because I know we went back and forth about whether I would just pick a movie I want to bring. Or yeah, whether I that was pick... part of it too. We, uh-huh. we never really landed on. I think there was like this... <laughs> favorites, assuming that would be Back to the Future, or I pick a thing, or I go back through the list of other things I didn't get to do and pick one. Or we do Bad Times at the El Royale again. <laughs> yeah, or that. Or that. <laughs> Four episodes in a row, you've made that joke, and it's worked every time. <laughs> And I've heard it three times as many times. <laughs> I mean, I think I've got one from the list. Oh, sounds good, too. We've got one from the list, maybe. So do we want to do that, or do we want to do one from my list that I've had in the chamber for a while? Or, I mean, I, I guess I'd... Not on any kind of personal caring sense but just in the sense of order i kind of would prefer to go back and do a list rather than do quote-unquote just another z pick okay i mean as the, the point of the cycle right is that we're revisiting mm-hmm. um and if we want to just end the cycle with the three of us and go back to normal then yeah go ahead give us a z pick mm-hmm. totally fine but if we want to do a full four cycle like i guess we have an opportunity here if you do want to pick something off the list that it fits really well not that you're precluded mm-hmm. from picking them off the list in the future, but mm-hmm. you know, it just fits the theme here. Yeah. Um, Luckily, you have already decided, so this has no bearing on what... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why are you wasted all that time picking something <laughs> if we're not going to end up doing? <laughs> um, 
He's like, damn it, why is this phone screen so small? I can only see so many movie titles at once. <laughs> Why'd you watch so much? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Because I do feel like... I'll just pick one. I'll pick one. Remember Let's when go we used to do recap episodes? Remember those? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, what I was going to pick was the third the recap. recap episode. <laughs> um, no, I would like to check out Bronson. Um, I love Tom Hardy and uh, I I know that one's come up in a lot of different conversations Uh, seems great I keep meaning to watch it and so I want the homework to make me watch it (laughs) I'm so happy (laughs) (laughs) I thought Joel would like that (laughs) I don't know if Tim and Scott are as happy about it I'm very excited if it, I well, I don't want to throw out like consultation because there are consolation prizes, but there are other ones on here that also look good, like Mystery Train. It was right there too. Uh, the Fountain. So we'll just do another cycle. You said Bronson would do it. Bronson. This, is what, happen- my foot this is what happens when there's there's three of you and there's one of me and then there's a what if and I do one of each and then I have to pick one more. Like that's a that doesn't line up. It's a, All right. it's the next three number. episodes are Zeke pick what if episodes. <laughs> exactly. There we go. You pick three. More pick fair. one from each of us. There we go. That's better. Um, and then Tim, you can give me another two options, then I'll pick whatever I want anyway. So. Yeah, just pick all of our, our choices for the rest of the time. Yeah. That'll just be what it is. <laughs> yeah. No, that'll be great. I'm excited to go back this into is... that, knowing more about it. Because I yeah, that's really what I was going to say. It. Yeah. Like, my biggest thing when we first watched it was, like, I didn't know what I was watching. <laughs> no, now I do. Oh, so okay, knowing what it is. That's also a great way. So should should we give Zeke a little more? Co- if you watch the, I would say if you watch the trailer, mm-hmm. you will have more of a sense going in for it what it is. It's okay. a little more. It's kind of surreal and nonlinear storytelling. I think okay. those are things that don't give away too much. And like the reason I watched the movie was because I saw the trailer and it it. In, infected my brain so uh-huh i, I can't believe we're gonna watch Bronson. i would not have that i, I thought if we were ever gonna watch that again it would have been my doing and i wasted a, a chopping yeah but but no, I, i'm i'm honestly revisiting the older films has been really really fulfilling for all of the films in all of the ways it's just whether they're films I have or haven't thought of since then, you know, I've said this before, I get more out of these when I share them with you guys. I get your viewpoints. And when we go back around again, and I get new viewpoints as well as my own, I get even more and more out of them. <laughs> it's more? great. It's really good. I, maybe we should look at a, like, a single repeat pick every so often just to sort of keep going back and uh, taking taking a second dip at the well. Or maybe not, since my list of films I want to show you is longer than Huge. ever. So. Oh boy, as he showed me the spreadsheet, he's got a whole plan coming. <laughs> <laughs> but before that, something else. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you all for joining me again for, for watching this and having this conversation. Thank you, Tim, for 
bringing us to pi in a roundabout way. Uh, you were searching for truth and found it where you didn't expect. Right? Thank you, Zeke, for picking pi. And then for, you know, bringing us our next choice here. Uh, and as always, thank all of you for taking this journey with me every month. Thank you, listeners, for taking that journey with us as well. Until then, good night. Bye. Bye. Insert drill noises here. comes to you from nerdsthatgeek.com visit nerdsthatgeek.com for all things movie mumble movie mumble is hosted by scott murray joel lewis tim gerard and zeke perez the movie mumble theme song and all its variations were composed by tim gerard the situational recommendation theme was composed by joel lewis scott murray and tim gerard reluctantly this episode of the movie mumble podcast was edited by joel lewis i really want to make like a dumb boxing joke just to sort of <laughs> sort of twist the end of the podcast here, but I'm never going to come up with something in time. Um, in much the same way that one of my favorite joke dog names is Virginia Wolf, spelled Wolf with no E, spelled W O L F, parentheses no E, because of course <laughs> Virginia Wolf has two O's and no E anyway. So it's like a joke inside a joke. There's got to be some place to do that with the boxing and the Bronson, right? But maybe maybe in time for the episode. <laughs> We'll see. Scott, I love your brain. <laughs> you're like, I have, you know, this very specific fucking joke. I wish it worked for this, but it doesn't. But I'm going to tell you. It just, that was so, <laughs> it's such an intimate thing you just shared with us. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.